Bibles to Mark chapter 9, the gospel of Mark chapter 9. Tonight I, want to, tonight I want to talk to you about killing your zombies, and we're going to have to move quick, so I'm going to take this jacket off, because they're going to go fast. Thank you. All right, 9.42. Yell out when you're there. Nobody's there. All right, Mark chapter 9, Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament, Mark chapter 9. Verse 42, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone would hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. So if you've got a choice between causing a little one to sin or what have we got an option B? Option B is we've got a large millstone you can tie around your neck and throw yourself off a bridge into the ocean. Which one will I do? Take option B is what Jesus is saying. Don't make one of these little ones that believe in me to stumble and sin, here's a better option. So how many people know Jesus is a little bit serious? Verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So there's a little repetitive theme through there where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So that kind of got me thinking that kind of sounds zombie-esque. That zombies are things that we kill, but they kind of, you know, go on like they're still kind of alive, even though they're dead. When I first got saved, you know, there was a lot of talk about skeletons in the closet. You know, you'd hear someone talk and say, well, you know, I just believe they got some skeletons in their closet. I just, you know, I just think that, you know, you know, it's not all what you see up the front. I just think that, you know, there's some stuff that they've got going on, and I can't put my finger on it, but I just think they've got some skeletons in their closet. And skeletons in the closet are much easier to deal with. If you've got some stuff that you're embarrassed of or ashamed of, things that you've done, it's a skeleton is just a skeleton. And all you've got to do is just bring it into the light, just kind of, you know, bring it out and just admit that, you, and then you just give it a good proper burial. That's what you've got to do. If you've got some sin, some stuff that you've been involved in, some stuff that you're ashamed of, don't let the devil keep it there. You know, sin grows in the dark. The light destroys it. Whatever sin the devil tripped you up in, he'll try and make you feel like you're the only person that has ever struggled with that sin. And you can't tell anybody because what will people think? Because he knows that it thrives in the dark. As soon as you bring it into the light, the light exposes and disintegrates and destroys it. That's why the most powerful thing that you and I can do is live a life that is connected. Be in a connect group. Be in a place where you have a leader, where you have somebody that you can confide in, that you can trust in, where you can able to bring your struggles and get prayer and give that skeleton in your closet a good and proper burial. As soon as you bring that thing out, you can bury it. I'm not talking about skeletons tonight. Tonight I'm talking about zombies. I'm talking about those things that you killed and then here they are again. Uh, you know, and, and kind of Hollywood and and, you know, the world is obsessed with zombies. And so uh, even some of the pop singers. So can we just roll this little clip and you'll just kind of get a little idea of, you know, just kind of what I'm talking about with zombies. Anyway, so, so there's something in our subconscious 
that I believe, you know, manufactures and produces this kind of stuff that, that, you know, the world is obsessed with zombies. In fact, there was a New York Times best-selling book, number one New York Times bestseller by an author called Max Brooks, which is the Zombie Survival Guide, was number one on the New York Times bestseller. People bought it in droves thinking, what if there's a zombie invasion? And so, you know, they bought the Zombie Survival Guide because I honestly believe, listen, some of you are going to think this is comic, but, you know, because we've moved away from Christ, because we've moved into a very, very secular humanistic mindset, our subconscious realizes that you can't deal with sin by pretending it's not there. And you can't deal with, with uh, you know, our, our iniquities and our issues by just pretending that those things are normal or those things are all right and just kind of dismissing them and burying them because the whole zombie thing I believe comes out of the fact that we realize there's stuff that we haven't killed there's stuff that we've just kind of swept aside or pushed aside or even tried to bury but the hand comes up and it keeps coming getting out of that grave that we put it in and it keeps coming after us until and so tonight I want to talk to you about killing your zombies I know last week we had uh, the the powerhouse pastor Mike Connell all the way from New Zealand busting stuff and you know casting stuff out and breaking chains and everything but I've I've discovered this in my life that I need you know sweeping moves of the Holy Spirit to bring deliverance and breakthrough and freedom but also I need to on top of that make a conscious effort to be killing my zombies now Jesus divided things into three areas here and talk about if your hand causes you to sin. The hand is, is interesting because the Bible says the hand is stuff that we, we lay hold of. It's stuff that we're reaching out for. It's stuff that we possess. You know, the Bible has these terms that God will deliver them into your hand, into your possession. Can I just tell you that there are certain things Jesus is saying you don't want to reach your hands towards. There are certain things that you don't want to go after, that you don't want to hold on to, that you don't want to possess because they'll, they'll cause you to sin and they'll cause you to miss it. He says you're better off cutting your hand off and he's speaking figuratively he's not speaking literally he's using hyperbole to make a point he goes this is how serious I want you that's why the Bible says we come into the house of God and we lift our holy hands under the Lord you will be reaching for something we're trying to get you to reach after God the apostle Paul says this one thing I do forgetting that which is behind I reach forward to lay hold of that that laid hold of me I want you to live with dreams I want you to live with aspirations I want you to live with desire in your heart, but I want you reaching for God things. I don't want you reaching for stuff the world can offer you that is here today and is dust in your hand tomorrow, that is perished tomorrow, that when you stand before God, that you have gold, that you have silver, that you have blessed vessels rather than wood, hay, and stubble, and your whole life spent earning something that is just dust in front of the throne of God or dust in the light of all eternity. Put your hand to work. Put your hand to something that is going to manufacture kingdom dynamics and kingdom fruit in all of eternity can somebody say amen then Jesus goes on he says not just your hand but your foot foot speaks of of dominion it speaks of destination it speaks of decisions the foot is 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 where I travel is the places I go Jesus said, if your foot causes you to sin cut it off in other words, if your foot's causing you to walk in ways, if your foot's causing you to go places that you know is not good for you, your foot is causing you to go. Now, listen, I've been, I've been with my feet for 46 years. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if there was one time where I was maybe, you know, lying in bed or sitting on the couch and, and all of a sudden my foot kind of goes, I'm like, well, what's going on? And it says, go to Vegas. What? 
go to Vegas and bet it all on black. I should, I should go to Vegas? Uh-huh. What should I do? Bet it all on black. Bet it all on black? I should do that? Uh, my, my foot has never kind of, you know, said, you know, you should. So, so it's, not talk, it's talking about your foot. It's talking about where you walk. The Bible says that every place the sole of your foot shall tread. I've given your, your feet, your walk is about dominion. But you realize you can go after things. You can have aspirations to, I'm going to get that person fired. I'm going to, I'm going to climb that. I'm going to be there, boss. I'm going to be above. And you, and you can end up living with all kinds of stuff that when you get there. The great shipping merchant, Aristotle Anassis, said, All my life I wanted to be the richest man in America. My goal from a young boy was to be the richest man in America. He says, And when I got there, when I got to the top, when I became the richest man in America, he said, I was empty. There was nothing there. You can spend your entire life trying to climb to the top of the ladder only to find that when you get to the top of the ladder, it's empty. There's nothing there. Let your feet be kingdom feet. Let your feet. You know what the Bible says? Blessed are the feet or how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. You know that word good news, good tidings, gospel. Beautiful are the feet who bring the gospel. You want beautiful feet? You want blessed feet? Let your feet be that which carries the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God into the world. Can somebody say amen? The eye. Jesus then says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. The eye is the window of the soul. The eye is the window of the soul. God wants you to live with vision. With that vision, you should have desire. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, The Lord gives you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I'm not saying don't have desires. I know that, you know, sometimes we can kind of go to church and think, Desire is evil, people. Oh, desire is evil. And, you know, you've got to cut down. No, no, but God wants you to live with desires. But He just wants them to be holy desires. And I've found that in me I've had holy desires and unholy desires. I'm like, oh my gosh, how could the same person have this conflict? What is wrong with me? But I just find that there are two natures at war. There's the sinful nature and there's the new Christ nature. And these are contrary to one another. Thank God for Galatians chapter 5. It says the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so you don't do whatever you wish. And so I found that if I delight myself in the Lord, there's a purification that happens and He begins to give me the desires of my heart. And I find that my heart becomes pure. My heart becomes right. That's why it's so important to be in church. That's why you're the smartest people in San Diego tonight because you're here at the 5 p.m. service and you're lifting your hands and you're worshiping and singing, you know, you know, waking me and you're jumping up and down and you're thinking, man, is this a club? You know, these are the fittest people, you know, in, in church and, and absolutely because we're, we're getting our heart before the Lord and we're worshiping God, delighting in the Lord and you'll find as you do that, He's going to give you the desires of your heart. I find in the house of God, the desires that get in the house of God are desires for kingdom, the desires to elevate Jesus, they're good desires. So, so we've got to watch you in those three areas. So really quickly, let me just tell you, I know Max Brooks wrote the, the, uh, the zombie survival guide, and I don't want to dwell on it too long, but he did have 10 keys. And uh, so let's just compare what the world says how to survive a zombie attack compared to what I believe the Word says. So let's have a look. Number one, organize before they rise. Organize before they rise. And how many people know that's not a bad idea? How many people know that when Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil came to tempt him, you know, if, you're the, you, know if, if you really are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread, Jesus didn't go, ooh. Can you wait a minute? 
I, I don't. I, I, am I allowed to? Like, is it in Leviticus? Does it say anywhere not to turn stone? If I tell, no, no, Jesus knew the word. He said, hey, 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 doofus, it's written. Man should not live by bread alone. Maybe he didn't quite say doofus. I don't know what he called him. Just affectionate. Man will not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Three times the devil tempted him. Three times Jesus responds with it is written. He didn't have a, doesn't say he had a Bible on him. It was in him. Because for 30 years he dwelt in the word of God. So I actually like this one. Prepare before they rise. That's why it's so important to be in DNA classes, to, to be in the Word of God, to be in a connect group, to be growing in the Word of God. So when the enemy comes, when, when the time comes where you're under attack, you're already prepared. The Word will just come out of you. The Word will just flow out of you. I don't know why I'm reading my Bible. I don't get anything out of it. Well, you know what? Maybe it's not for today, but maybe the time will come where the pressure comes, where the attack comes, where the zombies come, and you're able to speak the Word of God and take it down. I told you I wasn't going to. All right, number two, quick. They feel no fear. Why should you? Pretty good. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. I like it. Number three, use your head, cut off theirs. I think that's grotesque. You shouldn't be using decapitation analogies in church. It's gross. It's inhuman. And it's cruel. Well, then you're not going to like the story of David and Goliath, are you? Let's not get so religious that we don't like the Word of God anymore. Amen? Now, listen, David killed Goliath, but he didn't leave it there. Now, watch this. I, I think this is actually a really good point worth dwelling on for a moment. Use your head, cut off theirs. The Bible says that Satan, John 10.10, 10, comes to kill, to steal, or comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. David went after Goliath. He took down Goliath with a stone, smooth stone, took him down. But David said to Goliath, just before he took him down, this day I'm going to take your head from your shoulders. I'm going to feed your carcass to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air so that all the world may know that there's a God in Israel. The problem was David had no sword in his hand. He was speaking something he didn't have the resources to fulfill. He was prophesying before he had the provision. I said he was prophesying before. Don't, don't let your prophecies flow out of your, begin to prophesy now. We're going to own a home here in San Diego and it's going to be paid off. We're going to have breakthrough. We're going to have a baby. We're going to have a family. We're going to begin to prophesy before you have the provision. But the Bible says that there was no sword in David's hand. It says that to make a point. It's not just, you know, oh, we've got another, we've got another, we've got to fill a verse in. What do I put in there? Oh, um, I know. Why don't you put, there's no sword in David. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. Thanks, Gabriel. There was no, no, no. Every word in the Bible is there for a reason. Are, are you tracking with me? It's, it's for a reason. David had no sword in his hand. He just had five smooth stones. Fivefold ministry. Takes down the giants. That's why it's so important to sit in the house of God. Another message, you don't have time. So pff, Goliath goes down. So David goes over to Goliath. I don't know. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, listen, hey. He plays a harp and writes poetry. All right? So. Goliath has a stone in his head. Blood. You know, it's not pretty. Now, 
There's no sword in David's hand. So the Bible says he has to take Goliath's sword. So if you take a sword that doesn't belong to you, what's that called? Stealing. And then Goliath's already got a stone in his head. Kill. Some of us leave the stuff that we deal with to just speaking the word. Just, it is written, devil, I rebuke you. But even after three, it is written, it is written, it is written. The Bible says, and Satan left him for an opportune time. David didn't leave it there. He took the sword and he cut off Goliath's head. Because David's like, I know what the enemy wants to do to me. He wants to steal my dreams, steal my destiny, steal my purpose, steal my, 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 my walk with God, steal my intimacy, steal my hope, steal my faith, steal my walk with God, steal my future. He wants to kill my dreams. He wants to kill my purpose. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. So I'm going to do to the enemy what he wants to do to me. I'm going to steal. I'm going to kill and then I'm going to destroy the enemy. We need to cut the heads off our zombies. Can somebody say amen? All right, moving really quickly. I got carried away. Number four, blades don't need reloading. All right. Number five, ideal protection, tight clothes, short hair, whatever. Number six, get up the staircase, then destroy it. Number seven, get out of the car, get onto the bike. Get out of my car and onto my, whatever. Number eight, keep moving, keep low, keep quiet, keep alert. Number nine, no place is safe, only safer. Wow. Well done, Maxie. All right, number 10, the zombie may be gone, but the threat lives on. All right, well, that's fantastic. God bless you. Let's have a now look at what the Word of God says. Romans 8, 12 to 14. Romans 8, 12 to 14 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the, sorry, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, really quickly, let me give you six, six Zombies that I believe that we need to take down. Number one, numero uno, por favor. Number one is an evil eye. An evil eye. In Genesis 3 verse 5, the devil speaks to Adam and Eve and says, God knows that when you eat off that tree, you will not surely die, but your eyes will be open knowing good and evil. What a tragic day. Because up until that time, they only knew good. Now they knew good and evil. And the devil wants to make sure that evil is lucrative, that evil is, oh, it's forbidden, it's exciting, or it's fiber, it's all in lights and color, and it's tasty and zesty, and, you know, good is so boring and so lame and so vanilla but I'm telling you if you have an evil eye it's not good the Bible says in Proverbs 28 22 it says he who has an evil eye hastens after riches but does not consider that poverty will come upon him there's a tragic story in the Bible of a king by the name of Saul Saul is the king of Israel he's the king of an entire kingdom and then he has a kid called David David is the guy that just killed Goliath solved Saul's biggest problem and Saul goes out and he hears the young lady singing and he hears his name and they're singing they're saying Saul has slain his thousands which is quite a decent kind of you know chorus because he hasn't killed thousands he's killed maybe a dozen and uh, but you know that's all right a thousand well yes I could have taken on a thousand really taken him down in one fell swoop just that kind of man but as he's listening to the song, it goes on and says, and David, he's well, David hasn't killed tens of, it's he one. 
Goliath. But Saul comes in all dignant, in indignant and says, They've ascribed to David tens of thousands and to me only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And the Bible says, And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Now watch this, it gets worse. He eyed David jealously, suspiciously from that day forward. Watch this. And a distressing spirit came upon Saul. You want distress in your life? Let an evil eye captivate you. Be jealous of other people's success. Be jealous of your work colleagues' promotion. Talk at the water cooler. Talk out at lunch and how they were just kind of, you know, sucking up to the boss and that's the only reason. And I've got... What a misery. You'll, you'll find a distressing spirit will come upon you. Just praise God for their day. Just thank God that this is their day in the sunshine. Your day must be coming. You know what? If you are faithful and if you are reliable and if you are teachable, you'll find the promotion will always find you. You may not be valued today. They may have bypassed you today, but you keep being faithful and you can't help but be promoted. You can't help but be increased. But don't live with an evil eye. Don't live jealous of other people's blessing. Don't live jealous of other people's promotion. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 9, he who has a bountiful eye will be blessed. That word bountiful literally means generous. He who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. In other words, he's aware of other people less fortunate. He's aware of helping other people come up rather than looking to pull people down. You know, never never fool yourself. People that pull other people down, don't pull them down to their level. All they do is they just expose the level that they're on. When somebody pulls somebody, oh, I just, I don't think they're all that. They, they think, that, oh, I don't, I. whenever people pull people down, they never pull them down to their level. They just expose the level that they're on. Those people are always there. Don't live like that. Live with a generous eye. Live with blessing. The greatest thing that Saul could have done was embrace David and, and you know, champion David. Ja David was anointed by God to be the next successor, to be the next king of Israel. Can you imagine if Saul imparted all his vision, all his wisdom, all his experience? Son, here are some lessons I learned. Here are some things I'd never do again. And, and how much better David's kingdom. Instead, David had to become a fugitive. He had to go into hiding. He had to hide from Saul. He had to go the hard way all because of Saul's evil eye don't have an evil eye have a bountiful eye have a generous eye see the best in people around about you somebody say amen number two related to that is envy I call this one the spirit of Cain where people envy somebody else's blessing you know a number of years ago or not even that maybe a year ago I was listening to a podcast of Pastor Brian Houston and he was sharing the story about when Darlene Czech was kind of doing a whole lot of missions work. And she does a whole lot of missions work in uh, Cambodia and Vietnam and, and Africa and Uganda and Zambia and all these places. And she was kind of on this 10-day this tour, literally getting on one plane, flying to a village and doing a whole bunch of stuff and then getting on to the next one, getting on the next one. Then she was flying back to, to literally get off the plane and Go to, go to church, have a shower, get changed, and then literally get on the stage and worship lead. And, and so she was sitting up the front in business class on the plane. Well, a lady got on the plane and saw, you know, Pastor Darlene Check sitting there in business class and goes, business class? Business class, that's it! I'm never buying another Hillsong album again! I went and sat back, and Darlene said she just felt so, so abused, so... Like, she's got to feel guilt. The truth is, I, I know that she has given away millions. She's given away so much money that for the rest of her life, 
she could fly first class all around the world for the rest of her life with how much she's given away. But because this woman had a spirit of Cain, Cain and Abel. See, God comes to Cain after they bring an offering. Abel brings an offering, which is a lamb from his flock. And he has to kill it. So sacrifice. He loses a lamb. It's the firstborn. It's who knows that, that you may not produce again. He brings a firstborn because sacrifice. Whereas Cain just kind of, oh, there's an apple that's fallen on the ground. There's, a, there's an orange with a worm out of it. He, he just kind of picks up the leftover fruit that's on the ground. He said, well, God should be happy with anything. The Bible says that God looks at both offerings. And God respected Abel and his offering, but Cain's offering, he didn't respect. You need to understand that God has a pretty healthy self-esteem. He's actually pretty good, you know, with being God. If I was really honest with you, he's not good at being anybody else because he's never been anybody else. He's always been God. He's quite comfortable being God. Doesn't have a problem. You worship him because, oh, God, stop. No, no, he's, he's, he's God. I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight. But anyway, he's, he's, he's God. Because he's God, he, he, his self-esteem's intact. Cain just thinks, I can just kind of give God anything and he ought to be happy with it. And God's like, yeah, that's not how it works. So God comes to Cain and Cain's upset. And he says to Cain, he says, you know, Cain, uh, if you do right, will you not be accepted? If you do what is right, your brother did what was right. He honored me. There was sacrifice in his offering. That's why I accepted him. But you, you just kind of felt like you could give me leftovers. You could do, leftovers going to harm you. If you have a mentality, I'm going to spend the best on myself. And then whatever's left over, I'll give to God. It's going to ruin you. It's going to hurt you. You don't live your life and then, whoa, if I've got something left over, I'll give it to God. No, no, no. Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It doesn't say, hey, you know, seek first your own dreams, your own aspirations, your own desires. And hey, you know, if you've got a little bit of time, put God in there as well. No, no, that's not how life works. Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added. And so Cain has an opportunity now to do what's right. But the Bible says, next verse, that Cain took with his brother Abel and lured him into the field and struck and killed him. Struck and killed him. Because it's easier, it's easier to kill those that carry the blessing than for you and I to do what is right to get the blessing ourselves. You and I live in a world that is hostile towards the blessing of God. I remember sitting with a youth pastor one time and he's like, I don't know how you can drive a nice car when there are people in third world nations who are starving. Oh, wow, what? I don't know how you guys can drive nice cars while people in third world nations are starving. I thought, my gosh, I had no idea that my car affected the food supply of third world nations. The truth is, I used to drive a bomby car. It had a massive rust hole this big that I had to put a quicksilver sticker over. And even then, it just kept eating away. I had to keep getting bigger stickers. And if I was really honest with you, there were still people starving in the third world nation. How many people have, you know, had a parent that's, you know, said, eat your greens. Eat your spinach. There are little kids starving in Ethiopia. You know how many people had that one? 
few of you, you know, my mum used to always say, they're little kids starving and I'm going to throw this out, you know. I don't want to eat Brussels sprouts, they're kids starving. And, and I used to think, we'll send it to them. But, you know, that didn't work. And then I thought about it, I thought, how, how does it help? How does it help those little kids in Ethiopia? Tonight we sleep like a baby. Even though I'm hungry, just the thought, just the, the knowledge that Pastor Jürgen has eaten all his green vegetables. <laughs> How does it? Do you really think tonight we sleep like a baby? He has eaten all his vegetables. Tonight we can sleep in peace. No, they're still hungry. What I'm doing over here, see, but this, the people have a pie mentality. Don't, the Bible does not have a pie mentality when it comes to money. I've got to finish this message next week, but listen, just let me finish on this point. Do not have a, what's, what's a pie mentality? Glad you asked. Pie mentality is there's only so much money. And if Pastor Matt and Loren have bought a brand new Prius, they've taken a large slice of that pie. Now there's little kids in Ethiopia who got starved because they were selfish in buying a Prius. How could they be? Can I just tell you, listen to me, the Bible does not teach pie. This is going to sound crazy to some people, but when the pilgrims came and settled the United States of America, <clears throat> U.S. Bank was not here. There were no Wells Fargo ATMs. Fort Knox wasn't here. None of that was here. It was just a land, most of it uncultivated. But America has become a superpower financially because she has built her foundation on biblical principles that teach us that you and I can actually generate wealth. It's in the Bible. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue, exercise dominion. Verse 29, see, I have given you every seed, every fruit tree, every herb, every plant that has seed within itself. To you it shall be for food. When you eat it, plant the seed. Whatever you want more of, plant more seeds. You can have as much or as little. It comes down to what you sow. It comes down to what you cultivate. It comes down to what you plant. You can generate wealth. There is no pie. Don't believe in a pie mentality. If he has something, then there's less for you. It is a lie from the devil. You can generate wealth. You can increase in this. But there's a spirit in this world that wants you to envy the blessing of God on others. That if they're blessed, that somehow there's less for you. And you've got to hate that person. You've got to kill that person. We hear it all the time on, on television and by, you know, uh, oh, I can't say that. Don't say it. All right, I'm not going to say it. But, but by certain, there's a spirit in the world that is anti-Christ. The word Christ means anointed. Christos, anointed ones. There's a spirit in this world that is anti the anointing, that is anti the anointed ones. You find it in Psalm 2. Why 
do the nations rage? Why do the people of the earth plot a vain thing? Why do the kings gather together against the Lord and against His anointed? It's an antichrist spirit that is in the world, and it is anti-blessing. It's the spirit of Cain, and it's anti the blessing of God. It's anti the goodness of God. It's anti-prosperity. It's anti you flourishing. It, it just rages against all that kind of stuff. But really what it comes down to is, is it's the spirit of Cain that wants to kill the blessing rather than do what is right. God said to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Can I just tell you, God is no respecter of persons. God shows no favoritism. He shows no partiality. The Bible says in Galatians 6 verse 7 that God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. God is not mocked. So I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I'm a devoted follower of Jesus. But you know, the Bible teaches me that, that I am susceptible to the same laws, the same principles of sowing and reaping. In the book of Proverbs, it says, He who sows iniquity will reap strife, sorrow, trouble. That's what the Hebrew word means. So I can, I can sow iniquity. I can sow, you know, to, to lust or to my flesh or to whatever, but I'm not going to reap the blessing of God. I'm going to reap sorrow. I'm going to reap trouble. I'm going to reap strife because that's what I said. God is not mocked. Well, I thought He was. A, God's not mocked. I'm the one that brought it on myself. Your life is a product of what you sow. Today, your life is a product of everything that you sowed up until here. If you want a different tomorrow, if you want a different future, change the seed that you're sowing. Change what you're sowing. Change what you're speaking, what you're sowing with your words into your life, into your future. Change the seed in your hand and have a different tomorrow. But let's kill that zombie of envy. You don't have to live envying someone else's blessing. You don't have to take them out. Rejoice in their success, but understand, learn something from them. Don't judge someone by their harvest. Always judge people by the seed that they're sowing. Judge them by the seed that they're sowing. You should flourish. You should prosper. And someone who judges you, well, oh, why are you driving a nice car? How come you're living in a nice house? They don't know the price that you've paid. They don't know the seed that you've sown. They don't know the sacrifices you made. They don't know the time the Holy Spirit spoke to you in a miracle offering or in a first fruits offering or even just sitting in a, in a meeting like this where you felt the Holy Ghost come upon you and you wrote out that big check. You wrote out that thing and you came in faith, putting in the offering, not even realizing how you're going to make rent that, that week. And, and all of a sudden, bam, you put that thing in. Something supernatural set in motion. Miracles lined up and you you got a house and you know someone else was buying it, but it fell through and it came to you. And, and you... You have no idea people's journey. God forbid that we should let that spirit of Cain come on us where we envy the blessing on other people. But it's just human nature. We always judge by external appearances, not knowing the price that they paid, the sacrifices they paid. And God comes to Cain and says, Cain, if you do right, will you not be accepted? Come on, son, do right. But instead, the spirit of Cain spoke with Abel, lured him into a field and struck and killed him because looking at, Cain, looking at Abel with all the blessing, tormented and vexed, Cain so much he said I'd rather kill him and have my conscience appease than do what is right let's not be that kind of people let's not be that kind of church let's rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep let's get rid of the spirit of Cain let's kill that spirit of envy I only got through two zombies which was two less than I got through this morning I apologize but let's bow our heads as we come to a close in this service. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence and your power in this meeting tonight. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you just sweep across this auditorium. I know there are people here tonight 
who maybe are disconnected, who are far from you. You know, the way that we kill our zombies, I believe this. The Bible says in James 4 verse 7, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't just say resist the devil. Because if you resist the devil in your own strength, the devil's more powerful than you. The devil is more powerful than you by yourself. That's why the Bible says submit to God. Because when you submit to God, all of a sudden His authority flows through you. Because what you submit to, that authority flows through. Centurion said to Jesus, I too am a man under authority in submission. And I'm able to say to this one, go, and the might of Rome makes that one go. I say to this one, come, and the might of Rome makes this one come towards me. I too am a man under authority. Submit to God. Maybe you've kind of been a maverick. You need to submit to God. Maybe you're backslidden. You need to submit to God. Maybe you once walked with God, but you fell away. Tonight, God has brought you here to submit again. Because the power of God flows through people who are submitted, people who are surrendered. Wow, I wonder why, you know, life's such a struggle. You've got to ask yourself, how much of your life is submitted to the kingdom? How much of your life is submitted to the king? How much of your life is surrendered to God? I found that every area of my life that's surrendered to God flourishes. And every area of my life that I've kept from His Lordship just continues to have warfare, strife, difficulty, and challenge. If you're here tonight and you're away from God, you need to come back to God. If you're here tonight, you once walked with God, but you're backslidden. Come back to God. If you're here tonight, you just disconnected. Don't live disconnected. Reconnect with God. If I'm speaking to you tonight, you need to get submitted. You need to get surrendered. You need to get connected or reconnected. You need to come back to God. While every head is bowed, every eye closed, as I, as I come to a, a finish in this service, if that's you, would you quickly raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? And I'd love to pray for you. Quickly.